Welcome to the Some Days Here podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. So glad you're here. Some Days Here is a podcast for AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islander leaders. In each episode, we discuss how we navigate living in both Eastern and Western worlds and how the unique blend of our experiences influences our faith, our life, and our leadership. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Someday is Here. And every week we have amazing guests. And today we have another amazing guest, um, Alice Matagora, who lives in the same city as me, literally down the street. She's married to her husband, RJ. She's got two beautiful kids and a dog named Daisy. And she is a true foodie, loves food, loves eating it, loves trying it. And she is also on staff with Navigators, which is one of the ministries I so admire. And I always talk with my friends who are in the Navigators that if I weren't on staff with Crew, I would be on staff with Navigators. <laughs> and the Navigators ministry, she's been on staff for nearly 20 years. She's done um, work with college ministry as well as cultural competency training. She is uh, also a licensed therapist, marriage and family therapist. And she just released her first of, I believe, many books on disciple making. It's true, Alice. It is true. Her book is called How to Save the World, Disciple Making Made Simple. And we'll talk about all that and more um, as we dive in. So Alice, welcome to Some Days Here. Thank you so much. I've always admired Some Days Here. And so I'm just really, really blessed to be here with you. Oh, well, I'm so glad. It's kind of funny that um, we are recording and we are in different states right now when we could probably walk <laughs> to each other's homes. So yeah, we literally could. <laughs> <laughs> so well, um, for my listeners who don't know you, um, I would love just for us to jump off by you sharing some of your ethnic journey. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, um, my I am a Taiwanese American daughter of a Taiwanese American immigrant or my Taiwanese immigrants. My parents, they immigrated from Taiwan as graduate students. They met here uh, in the States in Connecticut and then they had me. So I'm the first born daughter of Taiwanese immigrants. I grew up in a mostly uh, white, mostly um, yeah, majority culture area. So from three until 19, I was very much the minority. Mm. And, you know, I think that there were some instances of, uh, like, racism directed towards me. But I think most of the hate probably came from me, like this mm. internalized, like, I hate that I'm different. I hate yeah. that my parents don't pack regular lunch like I just want mm -hmm. I don't know if you've watched fresh off the boat like I just want American lunch I just yes. want white people lunch you know <laughs> Capri Suns and Lunchables yes, yes exactly. I live that too <laughs> yeah like my parents had accents you know and so I mm. think I grew to really like hate that part of me which makes me so sad I really grieve that uh, ironically it was joining the navigators which is a predominantly white organization mm -hmm. Christian organization that's really fueled my journey to embracing my identity as Taiwanese American with mm. all the awesome food, mm -hmm. with all the cool culture that I have been so disconnected from and distanced myself from, yeah. with all of the strengths that my culture brings mm -hmm. to the body of Christ here in America. You mm -hmm. know, they're not like liabilities or weird things that make me different, but they're actually God-formed strengths in me that help me bless the body mm. to be a 
like more fuller representation of what he wanted it to be. You know, yeah. God, what God wants it to be. So that's a little bit about my ethnic journey. God has been walking me through this crazy, this crazy path of like self-hatred to, okay, maybe it's not that bad to full embrace and mm. living it out wherever I am. So I'm curious, what were some of the elements that took, I mean, what happened that really mm -hmm. kind of, you know, I use, I make up words, some, English is my second language, so I make up words, jettapult, <laughs> it's jettison and catapult together, but what <laughs> moved you towards really the, the, the embracing and the celebrating of your Taiwanese American heritage? Yeah, you know, uh, in high school, I went to this Taiwanese American camp, mm -hmm. uh, Taiwanese, I think it's put on by the Taiwanese American Foundation. And that was just the first time I experienced being Taiwanese is so cool, you know, mm. like cool culture, like hip hop culture, um, just really embracing foods and, and being in that space where everybody understood the tension of being second generation everybody mm -hmm. understood the tension of having like tiger parents who had so put so much pressure on you to be the best and to mm -hmm. succeed and to be a doctor and a lawyer or whatever yeah. you know that that was so liberating for me to see oh i'm not the weird one here but mm -hmm. there are a lot of other people who are around me who are the same and so i think that's a very one very formative uh, mm -hmm. place that mm -hmm. has impacted my journey and and i'd say that another one i mean i mentioned being in the navigators it, in the beginning i felt like i had to be like one of the guys and i had to be like everybody around me all the mm -hmm. white people around me you know like embody all their strengths of a white man really yeah. in order to make it and to to get far in the organization and it would just like I mean, it was so frustrating and I don't think the Lord allowed it because he does not want me to lead and to live and minister like a white man, you know, but, <laughs> yes. but it really, I think it first led to a season of, well, you know, forget that, you know, I'm going to go super hard into my identity and forget the, the, the white part, you know, but, mm. but I think that that anger probably isn't super helpful and, and God is led me to this sweet spot in the middle of valuing the contribution mm. of all people, all yeah. people from all different groups, you know, mm -hmm. in this beautiful, diverse body mm. that, that he's called together in the American church. Yeah. You know, we're not all white. We're not all Asian. The American church is a beautiful mosaic of mm -hmm. many different cultures brought together who are meant to be distinct and meant to be different but it's that beautiful unity in christ mm -hmm. that brings such beauty to a world that needs more beauty and needs more love of jesus and so mm. i would say it, it's in that it was in that space of really never making it as a as a asian woman trying to be a white man <laughs> to lead me <laughs> to to um yeah really embrace okay i am an asian woman mm -hmm. i am a Taiwanese woman mm -hmm. god created me that way maybe mm -hmm. there's something that um there's this verse isaiah uh, no by isaiah ephesians 2 8 9 and 10 mm -hmm. and in the message translation it, it talks about how he created us mm -hmm. um, he created us with a unique design to mm -hmm. to bless the work to join him in the work that he has called us to and work yeah. that we'd better be doing out of who we are and, that's and so, so that's beautiful. been a verse that has impacted me as I've been living out this season of settling into my identity. I love that. So did you grow up speaking Taiwanese at home? Did you speak Mandarin? Did you speak both? Did you speak English? And yeah. just like your 
parents spoke to you in Taiwanese and you responded in English? Like, what was that like for you? <laughs> There's so many different layers, uh, I feel like, to the Asian American journey. So my parents, my dad is Taiwanese, Taiwanese. Uh, my mom is, you know, her parents, um, they like immigrated from China to Taiwan. And so because she didn't know the Taiwanese language and because my dad thought that Mandarin was going to be like more profitable for us. Mm. Um, it, it was the language they spoke with each other. So it was my first language. Mandarin okay. was my first mm -hmm. language. I don't know Taiwanese at all. Mm -hmm. And so there's some of that shame in the Taiwanese community where it's like, you don't know your own language. Like I don't, I don't. Um, right. But we have these home videos of me chit chatting away in Mandarin. And, <laughs> and I have no idea what I'm saying now. I've like really? lost touch with okay. my language, mm. yeah, which really grieves me because I feel like if I'm not intentional in passing this on to my children, then that part of who I am, mm -hmm. we are, is going to be lost. Yeah. So, yeah. I no, I hear you. I hear you. My parents actually fled China and moved to Taiwan. Mm -hmm. So my Chinese, when I speak it, it's si bu si instead of shi bu shi. You know, so I, I speak as if I was like Mandarin from Taiwan, like the, the Mandarin version, you know, so it's really yeah. interesting. I, I don't think I was aware of all of the political um, backdrop with yeah. Taiwan and meeting my Taiwanese American friends now. It's like, oh, okay, I get it. This is a, it, to call you Chinese is not completely accurate here um, mm -hmm. and this is why so it's it's been a learning journey for me and so I think yeah. when we talk about Asian American and even Chinese American or Taiwanese American those are who are East Asian even um, mm -hmm. that you know of Chinese descent it, there's there's nuance and variation yeah. and history and you know I have a fifth generation uh, Chinese American friend who's, you know, great, great, great grandparents were built the railroads. Um, mm -hmm. So wow. the language is completely lost. Uh, yeah. And yet, there's still so much rich heritage. Um, mm -hmm. And trying to sift through to pick out the things that we really want to be able to pass on to the next generation. So yeah. now your husband, what is his ethnic heritage? <laughs> he is half white, like I think, it's mom's side has been here for a while, like Kansan, you know, but they like um, land and, you know, just, yeah, he, they've been there for a while. And then the other half is Dutch Indonesian. So surprisingly, wow. he has always identified as white because mm -hmm. his dad is the Dutch Indonesian one. Okay. And his family was very much like we were American, we speak English. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so RJ always grew up not really identifying with his Dutch Indonesian side like mm -hmm. they'd, they'd have like satay and mm -hmm. um, bami and stuff at their family gatherings but he just never really identified as Dutch Indonesian until recent years honestly I think that mm -hmm. we've both been on a journey of like no it, it, our cultural background our ethnic background really has impacted us more than we thought and yeah. we're seeing like with his dad like wow it, it actually it's impacted him more than he thinks, you know, and, yeah. and how it's going down the generations. Yeah. I think that's so fascinating because it's easy when someone sees us, you know, with our mm -hmm. features that they know we have an ethnic heritage that is somewhere from Asia. <laughs> um, yeah. Whereas with my white friends, it's like you actually also have your ethnic heritage. And if you are German of mm -hmm. German descent, that is not the same as the French or the Italian or the Polish yeah. or the, you know, so 
taking time. I, I usually share with um, my white friends that you know you're you have an ethnic heritage as well, and yes. we do well. And my, one of my best friends is Dutch American, and we joke all the time like how the Ju- Dutch and the Chinese are so similar in, in many ways. And so <laughs> yes. there's, there's definitely some crossover there. So yeah, incredible. Well, I love that you know what you write about and what you are passionate about you know lands in the area of justice and mm-hmm. representation um, I love that your book is just a fresh take from mm-hmm. your perspective on the area of discipleship and I would love for you to kind of unpack for us a little bit of that journey for you in um, in even writing the book or but specifically like how how you approached writing the book and why mm-hmm yeah, well, I am very passionate about disciple making. I mean, I forsook my Taiwanese immigrant parents' wishes <laughs> to just get a regular job to go into full-time ministry, specifically in the area of disciple making. So mm-hmm. I love it. I mean, I even asked people for money to to help to <laughs> free me up to do this disciple making work, and so um, I, I really have a heart and passion for disciple making. Um, being disciple has healed and transformed me in so many ways mm. in my life as people have walked with me through different seasons of life and marriage. Um, and so I, I was actually, I was approached to, to write this book. And my first thought was like, me? I don't know, I'm not really the expert in this area. There's so many other uh, I mean, I keep bringing up the white guys. I'm sorry. I really love the white guys. I love my white brothers. You know, but yes. like, there's so many other. I don't know. That I'm just not the typical profile, quote unquote, air quotes, mm. typical profile of somebody who would write a a how to book on disciple making. Mm. And, and as I was processing with the Lord and asking Him, God, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, God's like, why not you? Mm. <laughs> why not you? Like, yeah. there's enough yeah. books out there by uh, by you know, this demographic of white men, but why not um, a a disciple making book, a how to make disciple book by an Asian American, like geriatric millennial (laughs) woman, you know, um, with, 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 you know, my, my marriage and family therapy degree and Mm -hmm. my my own bent um, towards justice and how disciple making fits into justice and how it, you know, and and so that, that's been my journey. I think God kind of hyping me up. God's been my hype man. I really, Mm. I go back to Isaiah 54 all the time in the message translation. um, There's this part that says, don't be afraid. You're not going to be put to shame. Don't be embarrassed. You'll forget like the shame of your youth. And I feel like whenever I feel like I want to hold back and I don't want to write it like Alice would, but I want to write it and mm. be professional or whatever, like, right. you know, write it the way that, um, I don't know. I've seen other books written on the topic. I feel like God's like, no, don't be afraid. Don't hold back. Mm-hmm. Write it as you bring yes. your flair, bring your pop culture flair, That's bring right. your personality, bring, mm-hmm. bring, <laughs> bring the fire, your, <laughs> yeah, bring the fire and the heat and the passion and the justice mm-hmm. and the whole life and the heart for, broken people in a broken world to bring it Mm. bring it all into this book on disciple making um so this book it's based off of research that the navigators commissioned barna group to Mm do on the state of disciple making in the american church so uh, i have pages and pages printed out of this barna research that i you know in the beginning just poured 
over. It was really interesting. You know, they have some research done on the types of uh, people from different racial and ethnic backgrounds mm -hmm. and their level of interest in disciple making. And yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, and, you know, the navigators, when we look at disciple making, we have, oh, it's such a, I don't know, mystical term. I don't know what, what mm -hmm. even is disciple. We, we, we know the words, we've heard it, but yeah, what does it, it even involve? And so we've kind of simplified it, the navigators, by coming up with this, the five traits of a disciple maker, you know, mm -hmm. so, so five traits of somebody who wants to make disciples. They mm -hmm. love Jesus. Mm -hmm. They love his word. Mm -hmm. They are in God fearing community. They are living and uh, they're living among the lost. They're not like mm -hmm. in their weird Christian bubble, but they're actually in and among the world, you know, they're, yeah. they're everywhere. And then the last one is um, generations. Like they, they mm -hmm. have a heart for generations that the things that I pass that have been passed to me, I pass on to you and they pass on to somebody else. That's right. So they did this research kind of diving deeper into each of these five traits. Mm -hmm. Now, high level research, uh, high level statistics, what they found as a result of this research is that, um, you know, even though we know the the Great Commission, God has called all people, mm -hmm. all of his followers to mm -hmm. make disciples of all nations. Yes. And that's his way of advancing his kingdom to begin with there. This is in Matthew. 28 um, but the research showed that only 30 percent are are actually doing it hmm. and only a less than 20 percent have actually been discipled really you, yes isn't wow. that nuts like wow. yeah and, and so it was interesting to dive deeper and to kind of hypothesize why um different each of these five traits and how people responded to different questions mm -hmm. in each of these five areas could have an impact on why people aren't discipling, why Christians aren't discipling yeah. um, right now. Oh, that's excellent. Well, it's yeah. loaded with so much. I mean, it's a great um, blend of the research, mm -hmm. but you know, research itself can be kind of dry and like mm -hmm. eating a bowl of cornflakes plain. Yes. <laughs> you know? So I love that you bring in case studies and discussion questions and your own um, your own personality kind of comes through and mm -hmm. updates the uh, this whole topic um, for mm -hmm. the for this for this generation and I just yeah. it's very practical that way and uh, when you talk about discipleship that's one of my heartbeats as well that that's mm -hmm. something that I um, also am passionate about and have yeah. seen the difference of what it looks like to invest into people's lives and to see them invest into others and um, mm -hmm. that idea of uh, the that it's a children's story of um, the rice kernels mm -hmm. of in India I think it was a story originated in India and the difference between um, addition and multiplication and yes. exponential growth and so if you yeah. take rice and you put it one rice on the first square of a checkerboard and you double it the next day and then you keep doubling it like that by the time you get to the last square it's like more rice that covers the entire continent of India and you know all the way up to the uh, to the mountains and beyond and it's just wow. staggering but it really then explains why Jesus would spend the time to invest mm -hmm. into the 12 who would yeah. then turn around and we are the beneficiaries of that sitting here right now as yeah. followers of Jesus so yeah. that's how he intended for it to be so i love that yeah. you have provided this as a very practical um step Did you know that the first woman of color 
to be elected to the U.S. House of Representatives was Patsy Takimoto Mink. She was also the first Japanese American woman to practice law in her home state of Hawaii. In 1965, Patsy made history and started her long career in politics. Her lifelong experience with racism and gender bias drove her to create legislation that addressed unfairness and inequities. She, along with Representative Edith Green, spearheaded the passage of the Title IX Education Amendment of 1972. This landmark piece of legislation transformed women's opportunities in higher education and sports. In 2002, this act was renamed the Patsy T. Mink Equal Opportunity in Education Act. In Patsy's words, quote, what you endure is who you are. And if you just accept and do nothing, then life goes on. But if you see it as a way for change, life doesn't have to be this unfair. It can be better. Maybe not for me, I can't change the past, but I can certainly help somebody else in the future so they don't have to go through what I did." End quote. And that's this week's Did You Know? Now, you had mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, your parents, you know, you didn't become a doctor, engineer, or a lawyer. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> um, did you grow up in a Christian home, or was that like, um, yeah, what was that, your your spiritual journey, what was that like? Yeah, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, my parents, they were the smartest of the smart, of <laughs> the smartest of the smartest in Taiwan, and so they came over on full scholarship and, and I, they, they really paved the way for me and my siblings to have a really great life. Mm. Um, but I, I think that they didn't realize, I, I think they put on to us that same pressure. I mean, you think about being the smartest of the smartest, that's a lifetime of perfection and getting it right and always being the best. And mm-hmm. so that was kind of put on us. Like, you know, this is the way we had to survive. So this is a way that you have to survive now. Right. Um, you know, and of course, you realize there's always somebody better than you. If you're not mm. the best, my dad, his motto for a while was be the best or be nothing. Wow. Um, yeah. Learned really fast that I am nothing. Mm. So that led to a season of depression in high school where mm-hmm. I'm like, well, if I'm nothing and I'm a loser and my parents don't love me anyways, then what's the point of living? What's the wow. point of trying anymore? I keep trying and there's always somebody better. I'm mm. never going to be the best. Mm. Uh, and, and so a friend, um, she invited me to youth group. She she knew that I was feeling down and uh, suicidal and she invited me to youth group. And I remember being there, listening to the worship songs and being so weirded out that everybody knew these fun, same claps, you know, to the, to <laughs> yes. the worship songs. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> yeah. But I also remember being so captured by the lyrics, mm. like they're singing to God. Do they really believe that he's a loving father that will never abandon them? Do they really believe that he loves them no mm-hmm. matter what and nothing can take away his love? Do mm-hmm. they really believe that they're his beloved? What Do they believe that? Is this God thing real? Yeah. So I stuck around. Um, I was, okay, this is, I don't know if this is another Asian thing. Maybe it's just like a family culture thing. But like if, if my, in my family, it was like, if you didn't know, you were stupid. And so um, I mm. didn't want to ask for help figuring out the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. ask anybody, can somebody unpack the message of Christianity <laughs> to me? Because if you ask, 
if you don't know, you're mm-hmm. stupid. So they kind of like figured it out mm-hmm. after a few months. Like, yeah. Okay, I think this is the gospel. And I think I'm a Christian now. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I just look back at young Alice. I'm like, oh, poor thing. Like, oh, young, sweet you Alice. You could have asked. Young, you know, sweet Alice. Your story is similar to mine. I did not grow up in a Christian yeah. home either. And um, a friend invited me to youth group and I went because they're cute boys. But yes, I would, yeah. you know, I but I would literally cry through all the worship songs, mm-hmm. and then I would um, drive myself home, and I had never, you know, never had a Bible, so I drove to the mall and went to the bookstore and bought my first yes. Bible, and totally. just tried to do this this totally foreign, you know, Jesus thing and yeah. struggle, and it really was discipleship that helped me because I was yes. flailing. In uh-huh. trying to find my way, but mm-hmm. I so identify with you know what you've just described as far as just you know being both my husband and I are the first Christians in our family. Wow! And so mm-hmm. same, uh, here. same yeah. here, yeah. But that's mm-hmm. where I would say you know to listeners you know who are followers of Jesus you know there are Alice's and Viv's all over the place you know people mm-hmm. who are hurting and wondering about the purpose of life and if life's worth yeah. living and mm-hmm. um, those invitations that we extend to our friends and coworkers and fellow students and neighbors, they matter because that yes. just may come at the most um, ideal time in the life of, mm-hmm. of different people. So uh, I, I think I can speak for you as well, but I am so grateful that my friend yeah. took the time to invite me. So yeah, well, I love yeah. hearing some of that journey as well. You know, I just feel like yeah. we're we're cut from the same cloth, Alice. You and me. So. I, I agree. I felt that too, Vivian. I really have. <laughs> so good. So very yeah. good. Yeah. And the thing is, like, you know, we could have slugged it out and figured it out on our own. I, like, I feel like we did for mm-hmm. a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and it took way longer than if somebody just walked alongside like after I was being discipled it was like my growth is exponential because somebody yes. who actually knew the roadmap to yes. like walking with Jesus mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. helping me yeah like yeah. figure out the roadmap whereas I before I'm like where's the map what exactly what is the direction you know and that's yes. why I think discipleship is so important yeah uh, to help give somebody else a roadmap for how to follow Jesus yeah you know, it, there's exponential growth that happens when we do that yes and I think you know we I think we forget how when a believer is um, grounded in their faith um, mm-hmm. and even taught to multiply that, yeah, it changes everything. Like mm-hmm. there's just it, and so you know how to save the world, disciple making, you know, disciple making made simple. Um, I love that one of your chapters talks about really practical topics that we cover in discipleship. So it's not just randomly meeting for coffee. Um, mm-hmm. But there's really some structure that's put to um, our meeting together and the content that we cover and um, what we're being mm-hmm. trained in, trained to do. And, yeah. you know, the, everything from studying the scriptures or just being able to be confident in our assurance of salvation and mm-hmm. all of that. So I love that you have packed a lot into this book and um, again want to encourage all the listeners to go out and get the book um, everywhere books are sold mm-hmm. but I would love to know um, how can people uh, find you and how can they connect with you Alice yeah well you can find me all of my handles are the same at Alice Matagora Twitter kind of scares me to be honest so I'm not on Twitter um, I'm a <laughs> lurker like a on Twitter like I, I only <laughs> I only lurk because it's just it's like a dumpster fire 
You know? It's really intense. It's, it's intense I, I'm afraid there. of getting caught up and stuff on Twitter. So I'm on Instagram mm-hmm. and Facebook mm-hmm. and TikTok. Oh my, uh, my goodness. wanted me, <laughs> wanted me to get it. on TikTok. And I feel like I'm just that old person trying to figure out what, what I'm doing on there. Um, so I'm on TikTok and it's all at Alice Matagora. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have a website, alicematagora.com. You can find me there. That's so great. Well, everyone go find and we'll have these all in the show notes as well. Um, But I'm just so grateful. I am grateful for you, for your willingness. You um, were part of the Someday's Here virtual event. And Mm -hmm. you just bring so many different strengths, Alice. You um, are a passionate minister of the gospel as you work with college students and leaders and, you know, just really helping people navigate um, in a in in spiritual ways, but you also have this, you know, family marriage therapy therapist background as well. And I just think such a, a beautiful blend of mm. whole life, Jesus walking, you know, mm. just health, really. And so I'm so grateful that you bring all of that and that you were willing to share um, your story and your and your journey with the Some Days Here community. Thank you so much, Vivian. I really appreciate it. Well, we will continue. We'll have more conversations in my backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. But until then, we'll just see each other back back home. Yep. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Alice. Thanks, Vivian. Someday is Here is a production of Ivy Media Podcast. It's produced and edited by Angie Elkins. Show notes and graphics are by Nikki Ogden. And the original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. To learn more about the Someday's Here community, check us out on the socials at Someday's Here Podcast or at Viv Mabuni on Instagram. <laughs>